Okay, so we're going to be in Luke 16. And I'm going to, uh, before we get into Luke 16, I want to go through 14 and 15 real quick. I'm just going to run through it. I preached on 15 not long ago, so it'd be kind of a refresher. But uh, after Jason talked last week so awesomely about, you know, the blessing of the present time, right, where we're at and, and being used in the moment was, uh, this is where I felt the Lord called me to. So in 14, we see uh, Jesus goes to the leader of the Pharisee's house. So like this ain't just the Pharisee. This is the Pharisee of Pharisees. This is who Paul used to be. And he is at his house for a dinner, right? And he heals a man, and they all get upset with him, right? They're not happy that he just heals this man. And so Jesus, from that, begins telling parables. And they all line up, and these parables, often we teach these parables um, about the lost, but it, I, if you read it all in succession, if you read it as one, as the way Luke is writing it, you realize he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the leaders. He's speaking to the Pharisees more so than the lost, right? So then he goes on and he tells the parable of the wedding uh, feast. And I love this. Is uh, One of my favorite parables as far as uh, humbling you because he talks about don't come in and take the high places. Or somebody may knock you down a peg and put you in the low place. But to come in immediately in the low area, right? Come in as, as lowly and let Jesus place you where he needs to be, right? And it... uh. Because oftentimes, as Christians, we walk into a place and we feel like we're, we're something. We're okay. We're good. But that wasn't the way Jesus did it, and that's not the way we're, we're designed to do it. Then you have the uh, parable of the great banquet. And this is whenever Jesus says that the, the master of the ceremony came in and he says, Hey, invite all my friends, everybody I know, those who are part of my family, you know, my closest people. Invite them. And all of them were too busy. They're all too busy with good things. You know, they're preparing their fields or uh, whatever reasons. They all have a great reason why they can't do this banquet, why they can't make it. And finally, the master of the ceremony says, go out in the streets and the byways and just invite everybody. Homeless, I don't care who they are, bring them in. Right? And uh, I always like that because... It reminds me, never get too busy for what God's calling me to do, right? Never be too busy whenever God is inviting me. If he's saying something, I don't want to be that one. It's like, eh, you know, I kind of got to go do this, you know, or works in the way or any other thing. Then the cost of discipleship comes up and he talks about uh, leaving everything, right? Mother, father, uh, hating things, like whatever it is. Get rid of it to follow me, right? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come after me is what he's saying. And uh, that's a tough one, too. That's uh, It's easy to say I'll do anything for Christ until you're tested in it, right? And the salt without taste uh, part is, is worthless is one of those that I think is a great warning for the church. Whenever you lose your purpose, you lose your taste, you're no longer good for anything, right? And that's a, that's always a, a fearful thing. And then he gets into these parables. Uh, 
starts out with the lost sheep. And these, these three parables all go together. When you read the parable of lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, you should read them all together. As if they're being spoken as one, one parable, one story. Right? They were all broke down by the, the people who were organizing the Bible, but this is, should be read as one thing. Okay? And uh, so he's talking about the parable of lost sheep and how if one is lost, you would go after it. Right? We see that as God always leaving and going after the lost sheep. But he's telling them, if you lost your sheep, you would leave all the rest and you would go get that one who's lost. And then you would rejoice when you found it. And uh, the Pharisees were, were not that kind of people. <laughs> they would have been okay sticking with the 99. And, and it would have been beneath them to go out and do such a thing. right? But especially for people. They were more worried about the law than healing the man, which seemed, from all the teachings you see, really seemed to get under Jesus' skin. Right? Uh, and then it's the parable of lost coin. Uh says, if you lose a coin, who wouldn't tear apart their house to find it? And when you find it, you throw a great party. I've shared this many times that that is actually a wedding ceremony thing. Right? Like you would... Whenever a woman was uh, engaged to be married, the husband goes off to prepare a way, she would be given a headband. It would have coins in it. And if the husband came back and the coins were not in that headband, she would have been thought to have been unfaithful. And so whenever one of those coins would have fell out, obviously it would have, if she's faithful, it would have fell out in the house. It's the only place it would have fa- fell out because it's the only place she would have took the headband off. But it says you would sweep the house, you would tear the house apart, right? And then you would throw a great party that you found it. But it sounds like everybody would be fearful for you, and everybody would be trying to find that coin in the same way for a lost soul. We should be doing the same. We should do whatever it takes to see souls saved. And we should always, what we're really bad at as churches is celebrating that coin that was found. If God is up in heaven spinning around in glee for one who is saved, we can at least say, "Woo! how awesome, right? Be pretty simple. Uh, then he goes on to the prodigal son. And the prodigal son has been preached in many a ways. And all of them are great and all of them probably fit. You know, the son goes out and he squanders all that his dad gave him in an inheritance. And when he comes back, the, God, the dad runs to him, embraces him, welcomes him in. But then there's the older brother who is like the Pharisees. And he looks at the little brother and he said, no, I've been here the whole time. Why does he get what I have? Right? They're still, he's still not willing to rejoice over the one who returned, the one who was saved. And uh, over and over he teaches it. And then we get into uh, Luke 16, and that's where we're going to be at today. And... uh such a wonderful scripture. Actually, whenever I got this uh, word the other day, I didn't want to teach it. Because I'm like, this follows along with what I've already taught so much. I don't know. I didn't want to do it. And the Lord just wouldn't let me get past it. And uh, I know it speaks to me, and I hope it speaks to you guys. But if not, uh, we'll blame God. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you 
You love us so much, Lord, that you care so much about us that you you do whatever it takes, God, to to save us, to get us, Lord, to to bring us in, God, to draw us near, Lord. And today, Lord, I pray that you would you would speak to our hearts, Lord. That your words would come out, God, and that you would just, Lord, completely change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, it starts out, verse 1, and I'm going to break these down verse by verse because sometimes we kind of gloss over this scripture because there's so much in it that doesn't always make sense. So, hopefully you get taught a little bit in it, and also there's still a message in it. So, as he said also to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought against him that this man was wasting his possessions. And uh, that's, that man is taking what he was responsible for from the master, and he's, he's squandering. He's, not there, he's losing it, right? But most, most uh, commentaries you ever read on this say he was using it for personal gain. Right, he was taking what should have been used for the master, and he was using it for himself. And some of the words later on kind of suggest the same. Um, so he's got a great responsibility; he's not living up to it. And he called him and said to him, "What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager." If we look at Romans 14.10, it says, For we will all stand before judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it is good or evil. And uh, the same way this man's coming to this point, he's in front of his master, and he is about to be judged. And he knows it's bad because the master just said, I'm not going to let you be manager anymore. Right? So he has a thought. He has a, we would call it a coming to Jesus moment now, but he has a moment where he says, what do I do? Right? And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. And I think we all come to these points sometimes when we're not where we need to be or doing what we're supposed to do. We're kind of like, what do I do now? I can't, I can't go through this, or I can't do that. Well, this guy's realizing that all he was good at was, well, he wasn't even good at managing money, so I don't know what he was good at, but being shrewd is what he was good at. Uh, and I, one of the notes I put here is this is, if you go back to the prodigal son, he came to a point also to where he realized this life is not for me. This is not a good way to live. And the prodigal son went back to the father. But we'll see how this man reacts. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he's making a plan. He's got a plan of how to, how this is going to work out when he's fired. 
So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. This is a... This is a shrewd guy. This is a guy who's, you know, obviously being dishonest with what he has there. My thought is, is I don't know why he didn't say zero, because then he guarantees a house when he gets out, you know. And why did one get to mark down 50 and the other one to 80? I don't know. I just, I'm not sure he was the wisest man. Uh, Well, obviously he wasn't. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. I uh, I don't know I would do that. If you just stole my stuff, I would not be like, wow, this guy's awesome. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't commend you for it. But it says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So even Jesus is commending him more than the followers of himself. That is crazy to me. And this is a time period when Jesus is right there with them. But he had just already rebuked everything the Pharisees were doing. And he's saying this man is more shrewd. Uh, And the word shrewd meaning uh, in in Scripture would be somebody who's sharp and intelligent but using it to undermine someone or to get the upper hand. It's always with selfish ambition. So it's when somebody is using something to manipulate a situation, to to do something for themselves. It has nothing to do with, you know, you're like, oh, well, that's nice of him to cut it down from 100 to 50. He could care less about the people he was cutting it down for. He was all about himself in it, right? And uh, so when Jesus is talking about this, he said we were given something, and we won't even use it for our own good. We won't use it to prepare for our future, Right? And uh but this guy's at least using it to prepare for his future, even if it's shrewdly, even if it's wrong. Right. So this man uh this man obviously had uh a very worldly personality. He had a thought process of I am going to use what is my manager's to to take care of myself, right? That's what he was doing from the beginning. I and the manager or the master gave it to me and I'm going to use it. He'll never know I'll get away with it. And then the manager, the master finds out and the manager says, okay, fine. I'm going to set up a future for myself. And, uh, so he starts using these worldly possessions of his, his master to make a worldly home in the future. We have all been given gifts from God, both worldly and heavenly gifts, and do we always use them to prepare for our future, right? Is what we have, is our lives, is everything we we invest and what we use, are we using it to invest for the future, or are we doing like he was beginning and using it to bless ourselves, right? That's what we have to start understanding. This man was doing something wrong, 
But in the end, he was still trying to prepare for his future. We may be doing something wrong and still not preparing for our future. Right? In verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you in eternal dwellings. That's a... Words like that, you look at Jesus saying it, and you're kind of like, that's really weird. Why would I make friends out of unrighteous wealth, right? And and we have to understand that the word here uh, for wealth is the word mammon. And we often think of it as money, but it's actually whatever you put your trust in. The worldly things you put your trust in is the biblical word there. And uh, he's saying, use the things you put your trust in to build for the kingdom of heaven. Right? For things that will last. Uh, so, I look at the things of, of wealth for us oftentimes as... Um, is money or things that we put our trust in. A whole lot of us put our trust in money because whenever it's gone, we're like, what do I do now? Right? Or um, maybe it's the possessions you own. Maybe it's the job you have. Maybe, and this just came to me while praying earlier, uh, along with what Jason preached last week, sometimes we put our, our trust in time. Right? I need more time or I need this. How many times have we ever said, if I had more time, I would devote more time to the Lord? Right? If I had more time, I would do this. All oh, the things I could do if I had more time. And it just came to me there in prayer, but I know I've said it. <laughs> you know, if, if only there was more time, I could do so much more. I remember Pastor Rod always saying, if I didn't have to sleep, Boy, the stuff I can get done, right? But what is it that we put our trust in? What is it that we value so much more than we probably should? And uh, we all probably have something, right? So whenever Jesus is saying this very thing, and I don't want to miss this point, when he is saying to use that unrighteous wealth, prepare for the eternal stuff, to make friends and prepare for the eternal stuff. He is talking about using those very things that you put your trust in for eternal blessing. Right? So, oftentimes it's hard for people to tithe or to give or anything because of money. And that's a simple one. The money's always a simple one that people go to because it's probably the biggest struggle we have. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I think in America, maybe our time now. Being busy may be harder for us than, than money nowadays. I don't know. It'd be close. But, it, uh, you know, you're always playing. I, I, I read a study that back in the 90s even, they, they asked people that uh, who were struggling to, to give and people who thought, if I had more money, I could do more stuff. And so they asked them, like, like, if they made just $25,000 a year, which wasn't horrible in, like, 92. If they made that much money, and they said, what would it take for you to be happy and be able to serve the way you would like to serve? And they would all say $50,000 would probably do it, right? So then they got 
they got to the point that they started thinking like, what about people who make around $100,000? So they asked them, hey, how much would it take for you to get to a place where you'd be comfortable to live the way you think you need to live to serve others? And almost all of them went somewhere between $175,000 right? And that was the way it was, was everybody they asked, it was going to take almost double what they had before they can live the way they should be living. And I just want you to remember that. One who, in verse 10 it says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. And you may think, well, I don't have much anyway. Or I don't have anything to offer. Or, you know, there's not much I can be using anyway. We all have something. We all have gifts. We all have a job we go to. Or we all have family that we're around. We all have whatever it is in your life that you have. Are you being faithful in that? Right? Are we being faithful with what we have? And that's an important question because I, I think if I did, if God was giving me a job uh, review, right? You go in for a review and they go through everything, like they hit all the major points. And I think like if I was going in right now to the judgment seat of Christ and he said, okay, here's the hit points that I want to see how you're doing. I wonder how I'd, I'd, I'd play out in that. I wonder if I'd been faithful in what he's given me. Have I been faithful in the little that he can trust me in the much? Right? Or have I been unrighteous in the little, therefore he can't trust me anymore at all? Right? One of the uh, thoughts that came to me as I'm thinking about this is I'm, I'm going to put it kind of in in our terms of how it would work. Say I loan Jason $5. I say, hey, Jason, I give you $5. Or maybe I don't loan it to him. I say, hey, I got $5 here. Uh, I need you to either hold on to it for me or kind of do something with this, make it, you know, and I give it to Jason and he never returns it. I never see my $5 again. And then I ask him about it and he acts like, uh, yeah, I don't remember, right? You know who I wouldn't loan money to anymore? Jason, right? But if I come back and Jason's like, hey, man, like I went out and bought this stuff and I sold some stuff, man, and uh, I made some good money off of this. So here, man, here's 10 bucks, right? You know who I'm going to loan 20 bucks to next time? Jason, because it may come back as 40, right? And then whenever he comes back and he's been faithful for $20, I'm going to say, hey, man, here's $100, right? And as he is more and more faithful, he can be trusted more and more with what I have. And the same way with Jesus. If we are not faithful with a little bit, How can he trust us with anything else? How can he do that? He's not. Sometimes we're like, you know, I just wish one day I would have this great big ministry. And it's like, well, are you even ministering now? You can't go to the big without being faithful in the little. Right? And we have to remember that. And if you think, man, I'm tired of Eddie preaching at me, don't worry, this hits me too. Verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, 
who will entrust you to the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what, what, which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And that word your own in most translations is true riches. And uh, these true riches are actually the things of God, right? The things God gives us. Um, so this goes back to saying, you know, if you're not being faithful with your job, if you're not faithful with your money, you know, this is, a, this is actually a criteria that... Uh, as far as I know, every uh, denomination, church, whatever you want to call them, uses to uh, vet somebody into ministry. In order to be uh, a licensed minister, they will check your finances, they will check your job history, they will check everything about you to make sure you've been faithful with what you have, make sure you're not way in debt, you're not paying... You know, you not have debt that you've ran from. They want to make sure you've been faithful with what God's trusted you with in the earthly things before they will trust you with the things of God. And I remember the first time I ever heard that, I thought, what does it matter what somebody's credit score is? So rather, I can trust them in ministry. But then I come back to this, and what do you put your trust in? Right, If he can't trust you in the things you're putting your trust in worldly, it's going to be hard for him to trust you with more. And, uh, and then that really hit me about getting out of debt. <laughs> but it, uh, but this, this is the reason why they do that, because Jesus is actually saying he wants to be able to trust you with, with the small things. Right? If you can't budget your own account, how are you going to run the business side of a church, or how are you going to run a ministry, or how are you going to run whatever else, right, if you can't run your own life. Uh, so that's kind of what he's saying here. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you can't trust Put your trust in God and put your trust in worldly things. What he's saying. Whatever it is that you're stuck on, like, I just need to make more money. Like, I would serve God if I could do this, or I would serve God if this was taken care of. And we know from back in the parables before that Jesus said, deny yourself, leave all the rest behind, and follow me. Be faithful to what I've given you. If we can be faithful right now, he can trust us, right? We can't serve the two. We can't be trying to gain worldly things so we can, you know, get the better house or get the better car or whatever else. If we're more focused on getting that stuff before we serve God, getting a nice car ain't bad. Getting a nice house isn't bad. The reason behind it's what's wrong, right? So if I'm serving God and I'm wholeheartedly where God's at and God said, hey, you know, I've, I'm, I want to bless you with this home. Guess what? That's great. But I have to be serving God. God has to be the one. He has to be the center of all of it. Which we know was not the case with the uh, Pharisees. And I, I will say this. is uh, I believe not only has God given us... Uh, spiritual gifts, 
to serve him, I think he's also given all of us worldly gifts. Right? Some people were created with ability to make so much money. And we see them, you know, and that's what they do. They just make money and they, they hoard their money and they make their money and they're miserable people. But I believe he gave them that gift to make money to sow into his kingdom, right? Some people have the ability to just speak like crazy and gather people together and they go out and they make money out of speaking. But if they were using that to bring people to Christ, it'd be a whole lot different, right? Everybody has some kind of gifting that they're good at. And you're like, yeah, but I don't even know how to use that. Let God use it, right? There's something we have. Everybody has some kind of gift that they can use to bless God with. And uh, it, it will be used for the kingdom. We go into 14, where he... Uh, he just loves the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. That uh, translation there, ridiculed him, isn't actually the the word. The word there would have been called uh, would have been uh, derided him or turned their nose up at him. So like they just snubbed him. They're like whatever. And like they thought they were better than him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And uh it's always something to think about. We can get all the praises of men. People can think we're doing things right, or we may even think somebody's doing right, and we're like, Man, that is a great minister of the Lord. It doesn't really matter what we think. It matters what God knows. Uh, Jesus is telling them, you know, you're an abomination of God, yet you make people think you're better than them. You make people think you're right. And uh, we have to be careful of that. We have to be at the point to where all we're doing is serving the Lord, uh, worried more about what he thinks than what man thinks, right? I... uh it's always good to be encouraged. You know, we talked about that men's group yesterday. The the fact that, you know, Paul speaks of it often of encouraging one another and what a blessing it was for him to get through the the this world with because of encouragement. But it's not good to go out and try to get the praises of men or make men believe you're doing good when your heart's not in it. Right? What's on your heart is what God's looking at. Verse 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John, since the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forced his way into it. And this is uh this is always one of those things. If you go back to the Galatians teaching in Evansville, it's it's taught a lot in Galatians, and Paul talked about it a whole lot. Um but Jesus is saying the law. The law was important before. The law was something that you would always try to keep. And, and obviously the Pharisees tried to hold it over everybody's head. And uh, and even they tried to hold it over Jesus' head. When all this started, whenever he healed a man, they wanted to try to say, hey, you're disobeying the Sabbath. And the Sabbath's important because it's time with God. That's what it was all set up for, spending time with God, not to make you miserable and 
and hate the thought of spending time with God, right? And uh, so in this very one, Jesus is pointing this out that that up until this time, all the laws, all the prophecies, and everything were put in place to try to keep us in line with God, but also to point us to the need of our Savior, the need of the ultimate sacrifice, the need of Jesus Christ, and all of it beforehand was set up before that. Now here these people are, and they have Jesus right there in the flesh, and they're missing it. Right? They're so focused still on laws and the world and everything else that they miss what is going on. And, uh, and Jesus is just trying to get them to focus on him and the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is near, right? Is at hand. And they're more focused still on the law than they were what was at hand. They're more focused on the world than they were on what God was doing, right? Nothing about the law in their minds got them closer to Jesus or God. It was a fulfillment, trying to fulfill the the, uh, unrighteous rules. They wanted to fulfill the rules so they can look better than everybody else. It was never a heart thing. It was never a serving of God. Verse 17 says, But, and I like how he goes back to reiterate this so you don't think it means laws weren't important, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And he's pointing out that the law still stands. You know, he said he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And so the law still stands. Still, if you're lost in sin, you're still going to hell. Right? If you mess up, there's still all these laws. There's Ten Commandments, or you can say the 680-some-odd that the Jews were following at the time period. Those laws still stand. And they'll stand until the end of time. It actually says heaven and earth could go away before the laws could. And I, I, that, I don't even understand how that's possible because all three were spoken into existence by Jesus. Yet, they can go away. And uh, those other two can, but it couldn't. So, he's speaking this and he's trying to explain to them, don't worry about the law, worry more about following me. We, we can get distracted by so many more things than we do the gospel. You said it earlier, the gospel's simple. Everything in the Scripture is simple. Everything in the Scripture in the first 4,000 years it speaks of is pointing to the need of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? It is pointing to Jesus and how we need to live for Jesus and how we need to live for God. Yet, throughout all of it, the Israelites get distracted so many times and we get distracted so many times. And worship team, you can come on up, but... We, we can get so distracted uh, by worldly things, by trying to do the right thing. How many times have you ever beat yourself up because you did something wrong, right? And, uh, and sometimes you're like, well, I guess I'll keep doing it because I'm wrong. But we, we, can get, we, we see it throughout all Scripture, and then after Jesus comes and the gospel is here, salvation is here, the kingdom of God is here, there was to be a transformed mind. There was supposed to be a renewal of our hearts. There was supposed to be a point that where we stop following 
the old ways and we start following the kingdom of God. It's no longer about laws. It's no longer, there's no reason for the laws to keep you in place. Because if you do those two commandments that Jesus talked about, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. You fulfill it all. Right? And that's the way our lives should be lived. That's what all of our resources should be turned towards. That's what everything in our lives should be so focused on that kingdom mentality, on loving God, on loving one another. That should be every bit of what we do all day long. There should be no part of our lives that are left out of that loop, right? Well, yeah, whenever I'm home, I try to do this or whatever. Or when I'm at church, I try to do this, you know. But at work, I'm just so distracted by work. Hey, don't be distracted. The very thing he's talking about. Don't, don't, don't do that. Devote it all to him. When you can be trusted where you're at right now, he's going to give you more. And what, what I always like to warn people, and it's when you're trusted with a little, you can be trusted with much. Because he doesn't say when you're trust when you can be trusted in a little, I'm going to take that away and give you this. No, you're going to still do that little too, right? It's a uh, it's like the parable of the talents, you know. Their their reward for being faithful in a little was it gave him more work to do. Right, the other one he took his work away. He's like, nope, we're taking it all from you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey. You know, this shrewd manager is trying to make a future for himself and you're not. And uh, that, that's, that's scary when you see him saying that the shrewd manager is doing more for his future than the sons of light are. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And we could say, you know, no, I can't wait until Jesus comes. I, I love Jesus and, you know, my heart's devoted to Jesus, but we're not investing in the kingdom the way we should invest sometimes. And maybe you're way better at it than I am. But over the last year, I've learned I'm not real good at investing in the kingdom. I'm, I'm decent at loving people, and I'm not even that great at that. But the investment in the kingdom is where we need to be. The heavenly riches is where we need to be. Right? He can trust us with so much more even earthly means if we would use it properly. If we are devoted to serving the Lord. So... Uh, I was going to go into 2 Timothy 4, but I'm not now. I'm going to close us in prayer. And if you need prayer, I'm here. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 is a wonderful chapter read, starting in verse 9. Uh, if, you, if you struggle with any of this, so it's a great place to be. But I'm going to close us in prayer. If you need prayer, I'm here. Um, pray, worship. Don't be so quick to leave if, uh, if God's talking to you. So, Father God, we thank you for today, Lord. Lord, we thank you that that you test us, Lord. We thank you that you examine what we do, God. And Lord, I thank you for the things you do trust us with. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, would help us, would search us, Lord, would reveal any shortcomings in us, Lord, of how we live for you, Lord, and how we invest for you, Lord, and how how faithful we are, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would just help us to be better stewards of what you've given us. God, let us be more kingdom-minded, Lord. 
Let us be more focused on the things that last, the eternal things, God, than we are on these worldly things that could that can grab so much of our attention. Lord, you've promised us that you would take care of us, that you would provide all of our needs, Lord, yet in our flesh we get distracted easily. We could begin to think that we have some kind of control, Lord, but you said you would take care of it. You said, Lord, that you would you provide for the birds of the field of the air, Lord, and the and the flowers in the field, God, just all that you do for them, Lord. And you would do so much more for us, Lord. So let us trust you in that, God. And let us just be faithful to you and what you're giving us to do, Lord, and in the riches you've given us, God, and the let us be faithful in a little, Lord, and you can trust us in so much more, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will close with it really quick story uh, not my testimony but I was spending some time with Mike Harris the other day and uh, we all know Mike's been through a lot but Mike was telling me that he uh, a couple years ago he was going through one of his treatments of some sort and he was going to be home for I want to say seven or eight weeks and he was some recovery and his whole thought was this is going to be kind of exciting because I will have the opportunity now to be uh, a little more devoted to the Lord, I'll be more in prayer uh, you know I'll be able to study more and I'll be able to get more involved in the church and uh, he said he was so excited for this time off and then he got the time off and he started playing more video games and watching a little bit more TV and being a little bit more bored one thing that didn't happen was the increase of the other stuff, right? It was one of those that he thought if he had more time, he would do more. But quite the opposite was when he had more time, he was more distracted. And so when he went back to work and he started getting back to what he was called to be doing, he was able to start ministering to people. And when he started ministering to people... It caused him to get back into the Word more because he needed to know exactly what to speak to people, which caused him to be in prayer more because he needed to pray about those people he was speaking to, right? And then it caused him to just be worshiping more and being more involved in the church, and it got him right back to where he should have been to begin with, and then God was able to start trusting him more, but it wasn't the time that he needed. It was the devotion that he needed to what God called him to do in the first place. And uh, so... I just want to administer to you when he said that, because sometimes I do think, like, you know what, if I had some more time, I can do this. Or, man, what if I didn't have to go to work this week and I can do that? Anybody's ever on vacation knows that when you're on vacation, you're not more devoted to the Lord. Right? You're more devoted to resting. You're more devoted to doing the things you want to do. But it's when you're at work, you get that opportunity to, to do what you're supposed to do. So I'm going to close with some prayer, and I love you guys. So, Father God, we thank you for today, Lord. I pray that uh, as we go through our week, Lord, that you would test us, that you would help us to prove ourselves worthy, Lord, of that testing, God. And I thank uh, 
I thank you in advance, Lord, for the testimonies that will come from this, Lord. I thank you that that as we are faithful in a little, God, that you would give us much more. But Lord, even in the little, let us be more focused on growing your kingdom, on seeing souls saved, Lord. Let us be more focused on loving people, God, loving you first and then loving people, Lord. Let our lives no longer be anything about us, God, but all about you and your people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.